that's close. That's similar, right? Uh, we're walking through the through the through the season of Advent. Advent is is uh, bigger than than Christmas, and deals with this this reality that indeed we celebrate the fact that Jesus did come the first time, and yet we look we look greatly forward to the reality that He will come again. And so, we've been walking through the last two weeks. We've done genealogies. We talked about Ruth. And how even in the period of, uh, uh, in a historically awful time period, God was at work to bring about, about great things and about how Ruth was in the line of David. And then last week we talked about the genealogy, the people in Jesus' genealogy, which included, included David. Jesus was descended from that. And so we've been progressing towards that. But those were not um, probably the most Christmassy uh, of passages for the next two weeks. We'll, we'll sort of look at uh, some Christmas passages this week just, just quickly because um, I am aware that I can't compete in your hearts with the children. So um, we're being Luke chapter 1 uh, today. Luke chapter 1 verse 26 through uh, 38. And I'm just going to read that to you. It says this, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Gal- to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David uh, whose name uh, of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be and the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold, you will, conceive a, a, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, uh, to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I am a virgin, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child uh, to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your, uh, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also conceived a son, and it is in the sixth month uh, with her who is called... Uh, who was called barren, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Christmas is a funny season, um, obser- just as an observation. Uh, Christmas is a season where even in some of our Christmas songs, we sing about things or we make common things that we would not normally speak about uh, in, in normal life. Uh, I'm thinking specifically, uh, for instance, of, of the Christmas song, Silent Night, which uh, 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 includes the words, and I'm going to say this, and I think they're right, and I'm actually going to make an observation about how none of us know the words of the song. But as I said it, I went, are these the words? But in, in, the, in the song, Silent Night, we sing, Round Yon Virgin. And we teach that, to, uh, we teach that to, to children, and most of you probably learned that as a child. I remember singing it in, in elementary school at a public school in our, in our Christmas program. Um, I would just observe that we teach it to people, uh, the, to children so young, that there's a lot of confusion about the, about the lyrics to that song. So I think when I was, when I was very young, uh, up until probably older than I should have been, I thought those lyrics were round young virgin. 
which makes sense if you think about it. If, uh, if, uh, if she's young and she has a baby in her tummy, that would make her round, round, young, virgin. I thought those were the lyrics to, to that song. But just observationally, we make sometimes things common. And so we don't think about that a lot. We don't even, we might get some questions from, from younger children about that. But I want to point out that in, in, in reality, we have made something very common, which is not at all common. It's not a normal occurrence. It's not anything that, that, is, that is plain. We sing about it, and we, we put it into Christmas songs. It is common in, in Christmas programs. It, it is sung uh, in, in, in carol sings. It is common in our culture. It was anything but common when an angel showed up to Mary. And I want, to, I want you to understand that the shocking nature of what, of what happened. And I will, I'll emphasize this too. I repeat something that I say regularly. We are Christ followers here at Crosswinds and we believe some things to be true. And when we say them, that we believe them to be true, we don't mean true on the individual level, true on the it makes me feel good level, true on the this is my truth level. We believe it to be historically factual. We believe certain things to have actually happened. One of those is the death and the resurrection of the man Jesus. But before that, we believe in the literal virgin birth of Jesus. We believe that Jesus had no physical uh, father uh, from, from earth. We believe that in, in the birth of Jesus uh, uh, by a virgin. That is a, a historical belief. And so I just want to talk about that for, for a minute, but I want you to, uh, one of the things I like to help us do at these times of years, uh, this time of year, Christmas and that, when things get very common, is to recover, um, to recover the wonder and recover the miracle from, from the common in the, in the commercial in our culture. So uh, we do affirm that. I want you to understand that in the culture in which Mary lived, uh, uh, this is probably even more radical than in our, our culture. Not, not the virgin part of the pregnancy. The virgin part of the pregnancy is radical in any culture at any time. Uh, it does not happen. It did not happen. It has happened once in history. It is rare uh, and much, much less common than our singing about it. But I want you to understand that Mary lived in, in a, a culture that had a different approach to life than, than we do. Uh, we know that that um, that fatherlessness is is a common problem in in our our culture. Uh, we know that it is a common problem in our neighborhood. I was pointing out to some people the other day that when I talk to my children about about their their relationships with with their peers at school, and we I say, how many of your friends have a dad in their home? That number is exceedingly low. It is rare, and so it, it is. It, common in our culture uh, for pregnancy to take place outside of, uh, of, of marriage. It is increasingly common in our culture for a, a father to not be in the home. I think last year the number of births, uh, the number of births that happened outside of marriage exceeded the number of births that happened inside of marriage. If that number is not exactly right, that is the, the, the progression we are on. But the, the time in which Mary lived was not our time. 
It was not a time where that was common. It was not a time where it was acceptable. In fact, Mary is, is in a relationship with Joseph. She is something called betrothed. Now, betrothed is like an engagement, but this engagement is not like in, in our culture where the man goes to, to Jarrett and then he, he gets on his knee and asks a woman to, to marry him. And it is, it, is, it is festive and it is all of those sorts of things. Uh, it is not like engage in, it is like engagement in our culture, but it is different in this sense. In betrothal, there is a legal contract and a legal expectation. Uh, when Mary was betrothed to uh, to Joseph, she was in a legal uh, a legal relationship with him, and breaking that that relationship would be a breaking of the covenant, and it would be punishable. They lived in a, in a culture where if you broke that covenant, that covenant could be punishable. And in fact, the punishment could be, could be death. So when Mary comes to, to Joseph, when Mary, uh, or when the, I should say, when the angel shows up to Mary and says, Behold, you're going to be pregnant with the baby. And then he says, the angel says to, or she says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? This is not just a, just a question with no import. Her very life is at stake. Because Joseph, the one whom she is betrothed to, is going to say, if I am not the one who got this woman pregnant, then somebody else certainly did. Again, I want to remind you that virgin births are not just some quaint thing that happened a long time ago. It has happened once in history. It was every bit as insane and crazy to conceive of in that time so that when a young woman, Mary by the way, somewhere around 14 or 15, a young teenage girl comes and says to her fiance who she's in a binding uh, a legal arrangement with to marry, says, I'm pregnant. And then she says, but don't worry, it's, it's God's baby. When, when she says that, that would have been every bit as shocking, every bit as jarring, and every bit as unbelievable to Joseph as it is to you and I, or would be to you and I if that happened in our culture. There would be an assumption, there would be a, an understanding, there would be a, 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 a idea that this young woman has cheated, this young woman has been with another man. This young woman ha has, has sexually sinned against me. And now she's trying to lie about it by saying that she, she did not have sex with anybody. That is what would have been the common thing to happen. So when the angel says to Mary, Hey Mary, you're going to have a baby and you're going to have it while a virgin. That is a shocking event. It is not a common event no matter how many times we sing the, the song. So Mary, when she hears these things, or she encounters an angel, by the way, we read things into Scripture, and because we have read them enough, or read the Bible enough, if you're, if you're non-religious, you read them as a fairy tale. If you are regularly in, in a church, you read, you read them as common. Angels showing up to people was not common in the days of Scripture either. It happened, but this is not a common event. So that when the angel shows up and says, Hey Mary, what's up? She doesn't go, Oh, hey, it's one of these situations with the angel showing up that I've heard about, right? You know what you think. You may have a friend or, or someone you know or an acquaintance who has told you that an angel talked to them and you probably did not say out loud, well, you probably did say out loud, uh-huh, uh-huh. You didn't say out loud, you're crazy, but you probably thought in your heart, this person is crazy. If you've ever had an angel appear uh, to you, like if you've had angels appear to you regularly, I apologize, I'm clearly talking about somebody else. But you know, 
that in our culture that some people claim sorts of things and we find them to be odd. I want you to understand that when Mary says, by the way, an angel showed up to talk to me, when she goes to talk to friends about it, it is every bit as strange then as it is now. I want to recover that for you and help you understand the, 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 the wild nature of what's happening here. So an angel shows up to Mary. An angel talks to her. So when it says Mary is greatly troubled, that is a biblical understatement, right? When an angel shows up and talks to you, if an angel actually did show up and talk to you, you should be rightly freaked out, right? Because an angel's talking to you. Right? I want you to process the sentence. If an angel is talking to you, you would be rightly freaked out. That's what happens to Mary. She's like, what is up with this? She's greatly troubled. But the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive, and in your room you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no End. I want you to consider what has happened here. So to recap the story, an angel shows up to a 14-year-old girl who is in a legal contract. She is going to be married. She is, she is pledged to be married to Joseph. That's a legal binding contract. It, it's, an, it's an engagement. But they have not been married yet, so they have not been physically together yet. An angel shows up to a teenage girl and says to her, Hello, Mary. Mary is freaked out. She is greatly troubled because an angel just showed up and talked to her. It gets even more distressing when the angel says to her, Greetings, Mary. You have found favor with God. That's a good sentence. The next sentence is, He's going to put a baby inside of you. Announcements of unwed teenage pregnancy are not typically viewed as the best news that an angel could bring to you. In this case, it is the greatest news in history, but it probably would not have been instantly felt like that to a 14-year-old girl. But the announcement is, Behold, you're going to become pregnant, you're going to bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. He will be called the Lord. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. She, because she has been raised in, 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 in the faith, she has been raised with an understanding of the Old Testament. Now the angel starts to speak to her in a, in a religious language that she knows with the expectation and is basically using terms that tell her that she is going to be the vehicle by which the Messiah, the long expected one, the savior of the world is brought into humanity. This is heavy stuff. Uh, there's a lot of jokes going around about, about teenagers in our culture who regularly say things like, I literally can't even right now. Um, I don't know if you've met, uh, if you've met 16 to 20 year old girls in their, in their native context, but it seems... <laughs> It seems that they often literally can't even. I've got three and a half teenagers in my house who really struggle to process the, 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 the ennoble, the, the, the offensive, the, the, the incomprehensible request that they, they brush their teeth. 
right? That'll send them into a tailspin. This is our morning regularly. Hey, make sure you brush your teeth. I will. Make sure you brush your teeth. I will. Make sure you brush your teeth. I will. And then, for some reason, this toothbrushing thing will often de devolve into sort of a yelling thing. Like, why do you always have to yell at me? Why do you have to do it? Why? I don't even know. Where's the... And, and so I'm thinking about how the fact that I, I definitely have an actual 14-year-old living in my, in, in my house. And if I have a 14-year-old who, who struggles to process... The, the, the indignity of being asked to, to clean his bedroom or not mouth off to his mother, it is incomprehensible to me that an angel showed up to a 14-year-old and told her she would carry the God of the world in her stomach. Right? I, I've got teenagers. They are not ready to carry the God of the world. And yet this is the way God chose to act. This is the way God chose to move. And so... I want you to catch the uncommonness of that. And then I want to just make two points. Here's two points. He goes, so why, why in the world is, is God doing, um, doing what he, he, he did? Why does he come and why does he send the baby through? Uh, 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 why does he send not just the baby, but the one who will be the Messiah? Why does he send the Messiah through the womb of a 14-year-old girl? Right? And it's a dangerous thing that he does because honestly, he's God and he knows. But Joseph, when he finds out that Mary's pregnant, can say, she cheated on me and Mary will be put to death. Those are the laws in the time. That's why Joseph, when he says, Joseph, when the angel, when Joseph finds out that Mary is going to have a baby, he, he decides in his heart to divorce her quietly. You think you can read that as mean, but it wasn't. He was trying to divorce her quietly so that, that, that the word didn't get out, so that she was not put to death. But the angel tells, her to, tells Joseph to stay, and Joseph stays with her. But why does God decide to work in this crazy, strange, unusual, dangerous sort of way? And I don't know, honestly, the answer to why he chose a teenager. I don't know the answer to, to that. I mean, the clues are given. Mary, Mary loved God. Mary was found, found favor with, with God. But I don't know exactly why he chose her. But what I want to actually talk about, just two points. Why, why a virgin birth? Like, what's the point of that story? Why does it matter and does it, does it matter? And here's, here's the, the, the two reasons, quickly, that a virgin birth matters. And we'll do this in, in this order. Number one, you and I, as humans, have a problem. This will play into both reasons. But you and I have a problem. And the problem is this, is that we are descendants of our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam. Adam was placed by God in a garden. Adam was given a perfect relationship with God. Adam was told that he, could, that, that he had dominion over the earth. Adam had things very good. He's told not to do one thing. You may eat anything. Do not eat the fruit in the middle of the of the garden. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Adam uh, and his wife Eve. Eve is deceived into tasting the fruit because the, a serpent tells her if you eat the fruit you'll be like God. You get to be a God. And so she believes the lie that she gets to be a God. Adam comes along and he sees that the fruit is desirable and he wants to be a God too. He eats it too. And Adam and Eve plunged humanity into this reality that you and I were born descendants 
of Adam. And just as you possess the genetic, the, 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 the genetic code passed on from your parents, you remember from science class where you did those little squares that told you about, about how genes work and how traits are passed on. Well, just like you have the traits of your mother and your father in your physical reality, you have the traits passed on of your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather running through your, your blood, running through your soul as well. And the reality is, is that Adam has passed sin onto every single one of us. So that when you took your first breath as a, as a baby, you took it as an enemy of the living God. So that when you grew into a two and three year old, people never like when I point out that babies are, babies are born sinful. So then I like to go to two and three year olds because if you parented a, if you parented a two or three year old, you know that I'm right. Right? Unless you're Mary, you know that two and three year olds prove the truth of scripture and it's this. We're enemies of God. We have Adam's, Adam's sinful DNA coursing through us. We're born sinful. And so we had this problem. The problem was called sin and the sin made us enemies of God. But we had this other thing. There's this other reality and it's this, is that God in his goodness was not satisfied to allow us to continue as enemies. God in his goodness did not want to carry out our destruction. He'd have been justified in destroying rebels to, to, his, to his cause and rebels or to his way. He would have been justified, but God was not pleased to do it. In fact, in one place in Second Peter, talking about why Jesus hasn't returned yet. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises towards you, but he's long-suffering or he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The heart of God is that all people might know him. And yet the reality is because we are descended from Adam, we are his enemies. And so we, we, we wake up each day with Adam's, with Adam's way, with Adam's DNA, with Adam's genes coursing through our our spiritual reality through our being. So we wake up each morning and like Adam and our grandmother Eve before us, we wake up and we desire to be God. We, most of us don't de wake up and desire to worship God, that, the God, or at least the God of Scripture. We wake up and desire to worship the God in the mirror. And the reality is that all of us are, 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 are pretty bad humans. And, and I, I don't say that to me, mean. I say that as a, as a form of confession. I woke up this morning as a pretty bad human. You know what I'm even worse at? Being God. And yet that's what I seek and that's what I desire. And so, so that's what happened is you descended from Adam and all of, all of mankind descended from, from Adam. And God in his goodness was not content to destroy or wipe out mankind. But rather he was so good that he put into place a plan to rescue and redeem mankind. So that all who would come to him could be rescued. What was this plan? This plan was caught up in the baby who was born in Bethlehem. Well, how did the baby get to Bethlehem? The baby was born of a virgin's womb. Why a virgin. Two reasons. Number one, God needed to wipe out any sort of suspicion, any sort of thought process on your part that you and your humanity could pull yourself up by your bootstraps and earn a relationship with him. And if Jesus had been born from two humans... He would have been a human father and a human mother. You might have said to yourself, well, I was born of a human father and a human mother. And if he can pull himself up by his bootstraps, so can I. It's not true. We need to wipe that out. 
humanity is warped. Martin Luther King Jr. said in another context, but it applies here as well. He said, I have no problem with telling a man to pull himself up by his bootstraps, but to a man wearing no boots, it's only a cruel joke. And the cruel joke that most of us get fed every place we go, from school to self-help books to Oprah, to everything you look at is this. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You are the best. Just believe in you. Just believe and you'll be okay. No, the virgin birth is a full-on assault in the idea that all you need to do is believe in yourself and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You needed something more than just, than, than just a, a, a great human example. It comes from a virgin womb. So that you know, it says here, so that he might be called holy. He is set apart. He's not sinful. This is the second reason. It's not just that, that Jesus comes along and lifts you out of your sinfulness. He does do that. It's not just that he lifts you up and puts you on your feet. But Jesus is not a means to self-help either. Your problem is sin. The result or the wage of sin is death. The reality is, is if you die apart from Jesus, you die and go to an eternity where you are in torment and apart from the king and you're apart from what you were made for, which is Jesus and his father. And so God, seeing that and not wanting for you condemnation, not wanting for you destruction, sent his son, born of a virgin, set apart. What did he send him to do? Well, Christmas is always the happy holiday where we celebrate all kinds of joyful things. But the reality is the baby in a manger cannot be understood apart from the adult hanging on a cross. There is a cloud over the manger and the cloud is this. Your sin and my sin and the sin of everybody in the world had to be atoned for or the punishment had to be paid because a good God cannot be in, in, in relationship with sinfulness. Someone had to pay the, the price. Someone had to pay the fine. Someone had to do the time. Someone had to take the punishment for all the stuff that you and I do. The one who took that punishment could not be another person who deserved that punishment. There had to be more than that. See, you could be punished for your sin and die for your sin. And it would do nothing for me. I would also need to be punished and die for my sin. But if there is one who is going to rescue mankind from their sin problem, he cannot be a sinner like mankind. This is the second reason for the virgin birth. Jesus is born of a human mother, so he's fully human, so that he's able to rescue humans. We needed someone who was like us 100% in his humanity, so he could rescue people like us. And yet, he did not get Adam's sin gene because it wasn't passed on to him. Adam is not his grandfather. He's born of a virgin to keep sin from being passed on to him so that this baby born in a manger, this Jesus, is born in a manger and he grows into adulthood, but his, his, his human his human nature, 100% human, comes through, through Mary. He's 100. But he's also 
the God of the universe. And that comes through his Father. And this is, this is a mystery. It's called the mystery of the incarnation, which is a fancy way to say it's a mystery how a baby could be born and be 100% human and 100% God and be that at the same time. That is a mystery. But here's, here's the good news of the mystery that's hard to understand. Because he was 100% human, he could die or take the punishment for humans. Because he was 100% God, he never, never, ever sinned. And so the God of the universe lived a human life, never sinned, upheld and kept 100% of the law on behalf of humans so that his father was pleased to have his son put to death on a cross to take the punishment that you and I deserved. So that when we say that the hope of the world comes from a virgin womb, the hope of the world is not good Christmas cheer. The hope of the world is Good Friday resurrection. The hope of the world is not that the baby gives us something to, something to be excited about. The hope of the world is that the baby grew into a man and the man grew into a savior and the man never sinned. He was both God and man. No sin was in him and he was put to death on a cross. The Bible tells us for the sins of us all upon him were the iniquities and the sins of us all so that you could know God. It's a crazy thing that Christians believe. And I never come here to make excuses for that. We believe that an actual baby was born from an actual virgin. We believe that he was actually God, actually man, that he lived with no sin, that he actually kept 100% of the law. We believe that he was actually put to death by, by the religious leaders at the hand of the, of the Romans, that he was nailed to a cross, that he hung on the cross, that he died, that he was in a grave for three days, that after three days he rose from the dead, and when he did, he proved not only could he take the punishment of of sin, but he could also conquer sin's curse. He took the punishment of, of sin at his death. He conquered sin's curse, death at his resurrection. And we believe that he has ascended into heaven and he is coming again the second advent which we celebrate. He is coming again to judge both the living and the dead and to bring his children, scripture says this, safely home to God. We believe that this Bible, this book, this collection really of 66 books is true from beginning to end. We believe it's historical, we believe it's factual, and we believe it changes everything. And I get that you can look at me and go, that is so silly. And I'm actually cool with that. I'm okay with, with that. But I want you to hear it. I want you to hear this. I believe that there is no more important event in the history of humanity than this that there was a baby born in Bethlehem in Judea to a virgin girl who was 14 years old, whose husband decided not to divorce her and he decided not to kill her, but to stay with her. And that baby was born and that baby was raised and that baby grew up and grew in the Lord and that baby grew into a teenager and that baby grew into an adult and that baby never sinned. That uh, <laughs> when he was an adult, he never sinned. He kept every bit of the law and God was pleased to pour out his wrath or his punishment on that baby grown into adult who was Jesus so that you and I might have friendship with God and that we might worship that child grown into an adult Jesus as Lord. 
I get that that might be silly to some people. We confess it is true and is worthy of worship here at Crosswinds, though. And I want you to understand in this season that Christmas is a beautiful thing, not just for the trees and not just for the wrapping paper and not just for the good cheer and not for the Charlie Brown special or, 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 or not for any other thing we surround it with. But Christmas changes everything if you understand just who that child born of a virgin was. So my call to you this morning is if you don't know him man I want you to know him I, I never know like I don't I'm not that good of a, a of a salesman that I have like if you accept Jesus it'll change everything and tomorrow you'll wake up rich and wealthy and pretty and all those kinds of things that we all I don't have those things what I have is this is that I have a relationship with the man Jesus Christ who has taken away my sins, who has wiped them out, who has forgiven me, who loves me and cares for me. Even though daily I sin against him, even though daily I try to separate myself from him with my sin, not a one of my sins is more powerful than his cross. I stand here as a man redeemed. I stand here as a man saved. I stand here as a man who has a friendship with Jesus. And I'm not a great salesman. All I know is this, is that knowing Jesus is the greatest thing in all of history. And it's the only hope for what ails you. And every hole you have in your life, everything you think you desire, everything you think you want that you would try to fill with money or cars or relationships or, or, or jobs or, or any other thing that you thought would fill you, not a one of those will satisfy what really you or what you really desire. Your deepest and your greatest desire is to be restored to a friendship with God through the man, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our King. I'm not a salesman, but I desperately want you to know Jesus. That's what this season's about. That's what Advent's about. And he's coming again. And when he does, oh, what a day that's going to be. Pray with me. Jesus, I pray as I always do, where I've made it confusing, where I've, where, I've, where I've misspoken, where I've misrepresented, I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would correct it in the hearts of the people. Lord God, I also pray this, that in this season of the Advent where we come and we celebrate this, this Jesus, where we celebrate you, I pray that you would, we would celebrate you as the true, real, historical Jesus, that we'd realize how shocking the story is so we would, could get to this reality, that you were God in heaven long before you were Jesus in the manger and yet the father sent you and you gave up your throne and you traded it for a manger and you traded it for a virgin's womb so that you could rescue sinners like us i pray lord that you would impress upon our hearts impress upon who we are that you are a you are a great god who wants to rescue us wants to have friendship with us wants to fulfill us wants to give us the deepest desire of of, of our being and wants to wipe out and take away our sins, wipe them out, forgive them, and, and separate them for us forever. That is, that is good news. So we pray for your, your advent, Lord, even so, come quickly. You're a great God in your name. Amen.